Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about lessons on longevity, finding the fountain of youth. My first guest is Dr. Walter Longo, and we're talking about his new book, The Longevity Diet, Discover the New Science Behind Stem Cell Activation and Regeneration to Slow Aging, Fight Disease, and Optimize Weight. Welcome, Dr. Longo. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Let's talk about um, the science of longevity and juventology, as you call it in the book. Yes. Um, so the, the book obviously is not a diet book about weight loss. Uh, it's a book about uh, uh, living healthy, long lives. And of course, the maintaining a normal weight uh, is important for that. And juventology um, is what a word that I, I came up with uh, um, uh, to describe the, uh, uh, the focus on youth and not aging. So we always, uh, for example, I'm in a department that's called gerontology, so the study of aging, and I always thought I'm much more interested in how do you keep somebody young. And, uh, and of course, we, uh, we are on a program, let's say you could claim we are on a 50-year program, where a juventology program where everything is almost perfect for 50 years, and, and then everything starts going uh, down the drain. Um, but uh, how do you make uh, that instead of 50 years, 70 or 80 years long, so that uh, you, when you get to 70, um, the great majority of people will not have had a disease or a dysfunction. And so that's where the idea of juventology comes from. And when we speak about juventology and the methodology for creating a healthier life for longer periods of time, we're talking really about the kinds of foods that we eat and the kind of lifestyle that we live. Yes. And in the book, I talk about the method. So I, I, I talk about a five-pillar 
method. And I wanted to do this to uh, sort of address the chaos that is being generated by thousands and thousands of books on, on uh, diet that almost anybody can, can write. You know? So I always say, imagine if almost anybody could get up in the morning and say, I'm going to be a brain surgeon. And uh, uh, so that's what we're doing with, with diet. And that's, of course, the, the consequence of that is, is incredible. It's a disaster uh, because, of course, uh, diet uh, and nutrition has such an, um, a major impact on human life and, and, uh, and diseases. And the quality of life, um, the quality of the food that we eat is essential in terms of how our bodies operate and the kind of health that, that we will enjoy as we age. I mean, I have aging parents. I see what they eat. I see the, the, the byproducts uh, of their lifestyle on their health, which includes but is not limited to the pharmacology, right? That, that Western medicine is very quick to write a prescription for an ache and pain rather than prescribe a recipe for uh, a hearty meal and exercise. Yes, uh, not only is easy, is quick to write a prescription, but if you look at the drugs, let's say cholesterol-lowering drugs, right? Uh, they're very sophisticated in the way they were developed, but they're very unsophisticated in the way they operate. They just block the production of cholesterol. And now you have to ask, well, what happens uh, to all the byproducts and all the accumulated uh, molecules that that, uh, that are there to generate cholesterol in the in the first place. So the, the you're really interfering with a normal uh, function. And of course, when you do that, if you think about doing that in a car or in a plane, you can see how eventually that car or plane, if you just breaks uh, block something that it's so important for its normal function, eventually it'll break down. So this may be why. Cholesterol-lowering drugs, for example, can uh, decrease uh, cardiovascular disease incidence, but in the long run, they don't seem to have a, much of an effect or any effect at all on, on survival. Uh, so probably because you do both good and bad. And so the, the, the uh, nutrition, if done well um, in, in something based on something that I call nutri-technology, so understanding the mechanism behind uh, how food relates to genetic uh, function, uh, if you do it well, you can really have all the benefits without the, the problem uh, uh, problems, and, and that's what we, we've been trying to do, and that's what the book is about. Um, the book also um, outlines a very interesting diet or food plan. Many of us say we're going to start the year off uh, right or we're going to mark um, some level of our commitment to our health and fitness by a fast. The book has what's called the five-day fast mimicking diet. So if one wanted to embark on a sort of a jump start, you could follow the guidelines in this book, which are, by the way, very healthy, delicious recipes and a very doable plan. You can have all the benefits of that fast or that cleanse without the hunger. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. So, uh, by the way, the... Um the book is divided into sections. One is everyday diet, and, what, and the other section, the other health, is the fasting-making diet. And the fasting-making diet is something that um, is, is uh, to be done uh, between 12 and, and 2 and 12 times a year. Um, and uh, it is designed, uh, was the, originally developed for cancer patients. Uh, here at USC, uh, Norris Cancer Institute, we were doing clinical trials. And we really realized that uh, patients did not want to do water-only fasting. Oncologists did not want them to do it. So 
uh, we receive funds from the from the National Cancer Institute and the National Institute on Aging to develop a fasting mimicking diet. So a diet is something that you can eat, uh, but that will have a similar or the same effects as a water-only fasting. And um, so we developed that, and then you know we tested it for cancer. Uh, we're now testing it for many other diseases, and we also uh, published a clinical trial uh, of three cycles of this FMD on uh, normal people, and uh, and uh, and showed the the tremendous re- effects that it has. Talk a little bit about the benefits of FMD. So the benefits of being in this fast mimicking diet state, where what's going on in the body? What is the body releasing? What is what is being cleansed? Yes, the, the benefits uh, uh, really uh, range uh, from lowering cholesterol to lowering triglycerides to lowering blood pressure, uh, systemic inflammation, CRP, uh, and also a marker or a potential risk factor for cancer, which is IGF-1. Uh, so, um, so it really, uh, we, we see evidence in the mice, we demonstrated that the FMD can extend lifespan and, and reduce disease drastically. In people, of course, you cannot do that study. It will take uh, you know 50 years, but uh, but certainly the changes in these markers and risk factors uh, indicate that uh, the people that in the trial that did three cycles of the FMD were were younger and more functional and much less likely to develop uh, diseases in the next uh, 10 years. Uh, so um, now. We think that on average people could do it once every four months and that would uh, uh, have uh, tremendous benefits in the long run. Oh, I could see how it would be fun and easy to get a, a group of friends together or in a family um, and to do this and, and, and compare weight release, c- compare vitality, just notes of how one is feeling. Um, because the recipes are quite good. Are these recipes from your family, by the way, or are they ones that you created or someone worked with you on this? No, no. I had uh, several nutritionists uh, that work with me and dietitians that work with me on that. And uh, now keep in mind, the recipes are not for the fasting making diet. The recipes are for everyday diet. Uh, the fasting making diet, um, uh, we think it, uh, uh, and, and of course, you know, the everyday diet, it, uh, people can can do it on their own. Uh, but the fasting making diet, we learned uh, in Italy um, after I published the book about a year and a half ago, uh, that it was probably not a good idea to recommend, uh, to allow people to make their own uh, diet at home. Uh, a number of people ended up in the emergency room um, and we, we had calls from angry doctors, angry patients. And, and so um, we switched to uh, having this done only with the clinically tested kit. Um, it's called Prolon, and I should mention that I, I, don't, I do not financially benefit from this. Everything that should go to me it goes to the Create Cures Foundation. Uh, but we, we really felt because of efficacy and safety that it's, uh, the only way to do it should be with, uh, with the uh, clinically tested uh, uh, Prolon FMD. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. I thought that the, 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 the diet that was in the book, which was uh, is basically a soup-based diet from what I can see, is the, is the um, fast-mimicking process. But what you're saying is that there is a kit that is available that will allow you to do this at home and have some, some level of um, uh, uh, benefit of full nutrition while you're in the process. 
Yes, the, 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 the recipes in the end of the book are for everyday diet, and of course people can, can make their own, no problem. Uh, but when you get to the fasting-making diet, that's really very powerful. It's, I always tell people it's more powerful than a, the, the most powerful uh, cocktail of drugs that you can imagine. If you look at gene expression changes, so the body reacts to the, the FMD, it's, it's uh, uh, remarkable. So you wouldn't want people to take a, a cocktail of drugs on their own. Um, and because, you know, most people might be fine, but um, a percentage of people are going to end up in the emergency room. And, uh, and we just cannot do that. And we, we made the mistake before. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's just uh, um, not a good idea. We're going to take the break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Walter Longo. To learn more, please visit him at uh, greatcures.org. You can also find him on Facebook at Prof. Walter Longo. The book we're talking about is The Longevity Diet. Discover the new science behind stem cell activation and regeneration to slow aging, fight disease, and optimize weight. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about the benefits of a five-day fasting mimicking diet with Dr. Walter Longo, who is the author of The Longevity Diet. So Dr. Longo, let's talk a little bit one more time just to clarify about how the five-day fasting mimicking diet should be done from a kit, not unsupervised, and the, and the power behind it. Yes, so there is a kit called uh, Prolon uh, that people can find it. Uh, uh, I've been trying to work with the company to keep the prices as uh, affordable as possible without compromising its uh, safety and efficacy. Um, and, um, and this usually comes with uh, a phone call from a, a dietitian uh, for people that are uh, relatively healthy 
for people that have a diagnosed disease, they have to talk to their doctor uh, and they have to work with their doctor uh, to do it. So, yes, I want to be sure that our listeners understand that there is a, a responsibility factor that needs to be taken in doing this kind of um, extreme uh, nutrition process for five days. Let's talk a little bit about um, disease prevention and treatment of Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative diseases, because the longevity diet really does tap into, um, I think, the the wellspring of all health, but particularly our, our minds as we age. Yes. Uh, so both the, um, the everyday diet um, in the uh, periodic fasting mimicking diet, uh, uh, the, the job of both is to uh, uh, act on the genes that regulate aging, including brain aging. Uh, and recently we also shown that it's not just uh, protection and, and slowing down aging, but it's also uh, regeneration um, of uh, so activation of stem cells, for example, in the brain. Of course, we can't. Uh, demonstrate this in humans, we demonstrated this in mice, uh, but we also started doing uh, clinical testing in, in people uh, using uh, functional MRIs and other uh, cognitive tests, and, uh, and the data uh, looks promising. We need to do more work on it, but um, uh, both using a, 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 diet, a everyday diet, and by particular the fasting making diet, uh, is uh, promising for uh, slowing down brain aging and promoting uh, the stem cell-based uh, regeneration and rejuvenation of the brain. And when we talk about the, the, the diet or the food plan or the, the, the foods in general that are suggested here, are we really talking about reducing inflammation in the body? Is that the primary goal of this type of plan? Um, no, it's not the primary goal. Um, inflammation is there, there is no doubt. Uh, it's not clear how important inflammation is for, for aging. It's certainly involved in a number of diseases, including uh, neurodegeneration. Uh, and we've shown in the clinical trial that we finished uh, last year uh, that uh, inflammation is reduced by the fasting-mimicking diet. Uh, so uh, certainly uh, that is important. That's an effect that has been demonstrated. But um, I think more important than inflammation is the uh, is the uh, uh, replacement of dysfunctional cells and dysfunctional organs with uh, uh, cells and, uh, and tissue that is uh, younger, essentially, and, and functioning uh, in an old person as it did in a younger person. So I'm, I'm trying to think of a metaphor that would work. Is it like uh, changing the filters, you know, in your car? Or is it like uh, maybe there's a metaphor you can um, share that allows us to ha understand what's going on when we, when we do this process? Yeah, in the book I talk about uh, wood, old wood-burning uh, train uh, that runs out of fuel and essentially starts uh, where the... Uh, engineer uh, goes through the train and picks the damaged seats and the damaged walls that are made of wood and uh, uses them to generate fuel for the locomotive. And uh, uh, then when the train gets to the next station, uh, all the chairs and the walls are made of wood are rebuilt. And so uh, you can uh, imagine the same process occurring in the human body and in the brain 
where a lot of junk that has been accumulated there is burned by the body uh, as fuel. And, um, and then eventually when it started refeeding, uh, a lot of these uh, uh, um, components that have been used are replaced by new ones. And when we talk about um, using nutrition for health, we're talking about prevention of, of diseases such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease, um, the neurogenerative diseases, and, and, and Alzheimer's. And there's another interesting fact that I think um, is in, of interest to me anyway, and that is the reduction of abdominal fat through this type of, of, of food plan. Yes. So in the trial we showed, uh, and we expected this uh, based on the science, that uh, um, the, fat, the, the cycles of the fasting mimicking diet uh, uh, specifically target uh, belly fat, so abdominal fat, uh, which is also the, the fat that is so central to many diseases. And um, they also lower temporarily muscle mass, but then when you refeed, the muscle mass returns to normal. And the fat, of course, does not. So it's really a unique uh, property of this, which is uh, going after the abdominal fat, uh, and, uh, but not really uh, without affecting or having minimal effects on the muscle mass. And, uh, and this is uh, very, uh, very uncommon in, in any type of diet that, that you can find out there. In most cases, you lose uh, fat, you lose water, and you lose, lose muscle. Interesting. And how does one feel when going through the five-day FMD? I mean, what are energy levels? Um, does one feel tired? Can you still exercise? You know, you should not exercise. You can walk. You can be relatively active. You have to pay, watch out, and you should not exercise. And, uh, and feeling, um, there is a very wide range of responses. Some people feel very tired for a couple of days, and then they feel very energetic. Some people feel very energetic the whole time. Uh, some people feel tired the whole time. So uh, very, very wide responses. Um, usually the first time people do much worse and have a much, much tougher time. And in the clinical trial, we, we confirm this. And then as you get to the second and third time, uh, it's much easier. Uh, and I, always, I, I think of it as uh, you know, running at a 10K uh, run, I mean, if you've never done it and you're going to run 10 kilometers, uh, it's going to be tough the first time. And then the second time is probably uh, two or three times easier. And then, of course, after a while, you can almost do it every couple of days. You know? Well, and is it because we're, we're used to eating more calories, more bulk, and uh, probably more sugar and salt? And what we get on this program is taking away that and we're a little hungry and irritable or what, what, or is it the restriction? Is it psychologically the restriction or chemically what's going on in the body? I think we, we're, we're used to, for the first time in history of the humankind, we're used to eating what we want when we want. And, uh, and, and so this becomes a little bit of a, an addiction and maybe not a little bit, it becomes an addiction and um, and so any departure from that uh, um, is uh, is viewed as uh, very difficult. Um, now I think beside the, the benefits, uh, the health benefits on cholesterol, etc., I think the mental benefits are, are also very very important. So the uh, showing yourself that you can stay away from uh, from this addiction 
uh, and uh, and have uh, something different from five days that is uh, restricted in nature, uh, and it causes a lot of beneficial changes in your body. Uh, th- this is what comes to mind to me is that the, that it's the restriction and working with one's own mind that you know you really are going to be okay. You're doing something good for your body. You're raising your distress tolerance, your ability to withstand discomfort. Which certainly not being able to eat the food you want is minor on the spectrum <laughs> of doing so. But also the reset in the brain for those of us who do have uh, addictive tendencies. And I would say that it's all of us, whether it's our cell phone or sugar. Yes, exactly. Yeah, probably very similar. Uh, factors as those involved in the cell phone use, etc. Uh, but now, of course, this uh, clearly has uh, very, very uh, detrimental effects, and uh, we suspect that fasting uh, is very similar, or at least similar, to sleep, right? And and uh, and then in the old days, uh, everybody did it. It was just uh, uh, something that you could not avoid. And all organisms are, are going to be forced to undergo periods with no food. And then maybe in the last 100 years, for the first time in history, we got into this condition where most people can have food all the time. And, um, and this probably eliminated these uh, periods of resetting and rebuilding that, uh, like sleep, are so important to our well-being. A, a pillar of health. We are out of time, and I want to send our listeners over to greatcures.org. The book we've been talking about is The Longevity Diet, Discover the New Science Behind Stem Cell Activation and Regeneration to Slow Aging, Fight Disease, and Optimize Weight. My guest today has been Dr. Walter Longo, who is the director of the Longevity Institute at USC in Los Angeles. To learn more, connect with him up on Facebook at Prof. Walter Longo, L-O-N-G-O. Thank you, Dr. Longo. Thank you. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at harvestinghappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain Happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're continuing the conversation uh, about the mind-body connection, but also talking about how it relates to our successful aging. It's not just about how long we live, but the quality of those years and the quality of the state of our bodies, how healthy are our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. And my first guest today has been studying and writing about this for years. Dr. Mario Martinez is a clinical neuropsychologist and founder of Biocognitive Science. He is the best-selling author of The Mind-Body Code and The Mind-Body Self. He proposes a new science of hope to replace the limitations of the gloom and doom theories of reductionist science. He is the founder of Biocognitive Science, a new mind-body paradigm that investigates the inherited causes of health and the cultural learning of longevity. Dr. Martinez is considered a world expert on healthy longevity. Welcome, Dr. Martinez. Mario, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you for having me back. I always enjoy it when we have our conversations. It's great. Congratulations on your new book and your uh, program. Oh, thank you. And congratulations on you book, on you, on you book, your new book. Dr. Mario Martinez has a new book out that is now uh, a bestseller, The Mind, Body, Self, How Longevity is Culturally Learned and the Causes of Health are Inherited. So Mario, let's talk a little bit about what this all means, because some of our listeners may not be familiar with the study of biocognitive science. Okay. Uh, well, in, in the first book, I, I talked about how mind and, and body communicate with each other, how cognition and biology communicate. And it's not, as you've said before, it's not an intellectual wishful thinking. It's a process. It's got a code. Then on the, and I explained that and, and techniques on how to learn how to communicate. And in this book, The Mind, Body, Self, I take it a step further and talk about, well, there's mind and body communication, but it always happens within a cultural context. And I argue that the brain is cultural and the immune system has morals. <laughs> so that kind of throws conventional uh, science uh, upside down, but with good science. And the idea is that I'm, I'm trying to find in this book what I, what I propose is what I call a middle way reasoning. Because there's a tremendous amount of confusion, as you know, in the work you do, about what works, what doesn't, uh, what is science, what is not. And you have two extremes. You have one extreme that looks at, that is a reductionist uh, science that tells you that genes are really what's going to make you uh, be healthy or how long you're going to live. And it's a very reductionist genetic mindset. And that's not completely accurate. On the other side, you have the way out new age that says that ask the universe for things and the universe will give it to you. And what happens is that both of them need to come to some kind of a middle ground, which says that uh, we're more than genes, and there are better ways of getting things done in your life than asking the universe. So that's basically the idea in general. And I can, you know, go into it as, as you as you feel fit. Well, what I hear you saying is it's a combination of both uh, attention, intention, and action. Yes, but especially cultural. Because uh, the culture, if you look at the culture, imagine that uh, the fish in a fishbowl, they don't know that there's anything beyond the fishbowl. Well, that's really the culture. What the culture does, and, and I've studied cultures in, in five continents, uh, what they, uh, so I'm bringing anthropology to psychoneuroimmunology. It's how thoughts and emotions affect the nervous, immune, and endocrine system within a culture. 
So for example, when you, uh, when you look at, uh, at perception, look at the culture as uh, weaving a fabric around the world, and the world has infinite potential, uh, a, and even, even perceptually, uh, a, uh, a snake would see infrared, the, uh, the bees would see ultraviolet, we see within a spectrum of infrared and, and uh, ultraviolet, so it's depending on the equipment you have. But then in addition to that, you have a culture, and that culture weaves that potential uh, world around you, and what we perceive is the fabric of the world created by the culture. That's one of the ways to kind of uh, create some imagery of it. And examples of that, in uh, some countries in South America, when a woman has menopause and she's having the, uh, the hot flashes, they call it bochorno, which means shame in Spanish. And we know that <laughs> shaming, because the immune system has a, it's a biosymbolic, shaming causes inflammation. If you shame someone, you're going to have molecules of inflammation that are going to be released, interleukins 2 and other kinds of molecules. Well, those women, and even the doctors will say she's having the symptoms of, uh, of shame, even though they know it's hormonal, culturally they call it shame. So these women have lower self-esteem, more inflammation, more need for hormone replacement, and overall um, malaise, as, a, as opposed to the women in uh, Japan and, and China, especially in Japan, they call it konenki, which means the second chance or the second spring. Women there see it culturally as an opportunity to come into your own wisdom. Self-esteem goes up. They become a role model for younger women. And therefore, the biology responds to what the culture is telling it to respond to. That's very interesting that you talk about menopause. See, I just thought the hot flashes were power surges. So for me, I've got a completely different identity well, you, with them. You have a good attribution, yeah. But, <laughs> but imagine it, if the doctors tell you, well, no, no, this is this hot flashes, you're going to have them and very uncomfortable, and I'm going to give you some medication for it, you know, and gives you an attribution of helplessness as opposed to like what you're doing. For example, you're empowering yourself, and it's a signal for you to feel empowered or to feel wise. That's a very uh, Eastern way of looking at menopause. And let's talk about, now that we've got sort of the model or the metaphor that people can understand about how this applies to aging healthy, you know, that we, we, we are all going to grow old, but that doesn't mean that we need to grow rickety. That's right. And the book is a lot more than, than longevity, but, but longevity is one of the issues. And what I did as a neuropsychologist, I thought, well, how can I find people that are the outliers that are growing older, healthy, and don't fit into the model of gerontology that says, uh, as you age, you're going to deteriorate and, and it's inevitable. And as you grow older, you're going to lose your, your power and you're going to lose your intellect and you're going to have dementia, all that kind of thing, uh, because it's genetics, uh, according to the, uh, that model of genetic um, determinism. So I started studying the people that work, centenarians that are healthy, people over 100, 100 or over that are actually healthy. And at first I thought, okay, this has to be genetics. They have what they call the, the Methuselah uh, gene, and they have this and they have that. Well, what I found after 15 years is that genetics only accounts to 20%. The rest is what I call biocultural, the way they live, the way they think, the, uh, the environment. But it's not just the food, it's not just having good thoughts. It's much more than that. So 
what I found is that these people are outliers. They're out of the portals, what I call the cultural portals. I had to come up with words after studying them. The cultural portals are the cages that uh, the culture will set for you. For example, the cage of uh, or the, the portal of, uh, of the infant, the child, the um, adolescent, the middle age, especially middle age is a really important marker, and the uh, 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 senior citizens and so forth. Those are, those are cultural. They're not biological. But yet we teach culturally our biology to age in different ways. So, for example, studies have been done that, that look at uh, people that look significantly older than their age and significantly younger. Ellen Langer, this work, a colleague at, at Harvard. And uh, what they found is that the people that look younger consider middle age to start much later than the people who are looking older. So you have a marker there, and it's a culture marker, but then you begin to respond to the marker, and the culture will admonish you if you try to get out. You say you're middle-aged, and you say, you know, I'm about ready to go back to school, and I want to get my PhD immediately. Look, you need to be thinking, including uh, the culture editors like accountants and people like that will say, no, look, you need to be thinking about uh, your retirement because you're middle-aged now, and you have just so many years to go. In, in fact, you can go to actuarial uh, tables that will tell you how long you're going to live, which is nonsense, but you set yourself up for that. And what is retirement? It depends on the country. If you're in Turkey, 45. If you're in Australia, 70. So you see how it's a, it's a, it's a cultural rel relativism, but the biology will respond to that. And that's the danger of it. Uh, this is this is fascinating because it is it does bring into account the power of the mind and how our attitude, how our perceptions actually do create our realities. And this is where I think it skews to sort of the woo woo that you spoke about when we begin when we began the segment, you know, that you, yes. know, you know, think it and make it so. And what I hear you saying is to a degree that is really important, but it also comes from the culture surrounding us, the messages yes. we get from the outside. Yes, and the way to look at it, because that's a great question, the way to look at it is that we are, we're designed, we're not programmed because we're not computers, we're designed to pay much attention to what I call the cultural editors, which are people in the culture that have a lot of power, a mother with a child, a doctor in a clinic, clergy and uh, churches and, and temples, so forth. So we're designed to pay much attention to that, and whether it's good or bad, it becomes very important for us. So the child is uh, the newborn is very hungry and, and, and uncomfortable, and then he sees a breast or a uh, bottle, and the uncomfortableness is gone after a while. Well, that yeah. becomes a very important physiological response to a symbol, which is a breast or, or a bottle. Later, you get a name, and you call it a bottle, you call it a breast, you call it mother, but that person already has a lot of power over you, and that becomes a biosymbol. Every time you see the mother, there's a biosymbol, there's, an, there's a biological response. So what happens if those culture editors, like doctors and, and people that supposedly know what they're doing, they tell you, look, uh, you're, you're going to deteriorate. And when you, if you have family illnesses, you're going to die of a family illness. And they give you those attributions uh, and you buy them. And the biology begins to respond to that. I'm speaking today with Dr. Mario Martinez, neuropsychologist and author of The Mind, Body, Self, How Longevity is Culturally Learned and the Causes of Health are Inherited. To learn more, please visit bio cognitive.com on twitter you can find mario at biocognitive1 and on facebook mind body culture here come the tunes we'll be right back who says money can't buy happiness check out lisa's new book are we happy yet 
eight keys to unlocking a joyful life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we're talking about the mind, body, self, how longevity is culturally learned and the causes of health are inherited. And that is the name of Dr. Mario Martinez's new book, and he is in the house. We are talking about healthy aging, about the cultural implications of our environment on our health. So, Dr. Martinez, please carry on because I so rudely interrupted you. <laughs> no, that's all right. I understand. Well, I was talking about the um, the reductionist um, mindset or science that says that you're a slave of your genes. And so let's t let's take a very uh, practical example. Let's say that in your family, there's diabetes type two, and when you go to the doctors, hey, we're going to have to keep an eye on this because uh, you have the which is okay, but the problem is that you're creating a nocebo effect already, the opposite of uh, placebo, which is I shall please, I shall harm nocebo. And you begin to then worry about it, and you begin to have uh, anxiety reactions because you think you're going to have diabetes like your mother, and that anxiety reaction can trigger genes that can actually bring out illness. That's number one. Number two is the way to really, because the brain needs evidence. It can't be with wishful thinking. I'm not going to have this, so therefore it's not going to happen. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. It needs evidence. What is the evidence? You look at somebody in your family who does not fit that uh, mold of, uh, of, of that you're going to have diabetes. That person is 75 and doesn't have diabetes. All right, that's an outlier. That breaks from the genetic sentencing. How does that person live? How are they? And they become your model to then be able to replicate how that person lives gives you evidence against what you were told, number one. And number two is that you begin to live the life of empowerment where you take care of yourself, you eat well, but you don't live with a fear that this is going to happen. Anytime there's a fear, you go back to how that person is making it, although that person supposedly should have diabetes and he or she doesn't. So that kind of evidence and many other techniques that I talk about in the book is really what allows you to change the neural maps 
which is actually what makes you believe something or not. I love what you just said about genetic sentencing. I've never heard that terminology. I like it a lot. And what I, I interpret that to mean is you are not your DNA. You, you are. Well, you, you are uh, you're your DNA, but you're, how you express that DNA is up to you. The DNA doesn't change. But what changes is the gene expression of the DNA, which is really good news because you can change that. I'll give you an example. And this is really great because it, it, it not only has to do with longevity, but how powerful the immune system is in responding to culture. Um, there's something called CTRA, which is the cluster of response to adversity that the immune system has, uh, which has uh, antibodies, anti-inflammatory, uh, and anti-virus um, type of uh, responses. They looked at people that uh, have, because way back, Aristophanes about 2,300 years ago said that, that life is all about pleasure. And that's where hedonism comes from. Life <laughs> yeah. is pleasure and everything wonderful, and uh, and that's all you do. But then Aristotle said, no, no, life is a lot more than that. It's pleasure with meaning, pleasure with service, pleasure with honor, pleasure with things that have to do with compassion. That's the pleasure that matters. Well, 2,300 years, Aristotle was right. They looked at the CTRA of people who are hedonistic in, in the way they deal with the world, and people who are what they call eudaimonic, which is people who have pleasure with meaning and other kinds of things that I talked about, higher emotions. They found that the CTRA of people that, that are hedonistic is worse than the people who have pleasure with meaning, which means that the people who are hedonistic are not going to be as healthy. They're not going to uh, live as long because they don't have an immune system responding in a positive way. That's amazing. And where do you see that? Nowhere. Well, you know what's interesting about what you just said is that when you look at people who are addicted to whatever substances or behaviors of their of their choosing or their pleasure, they have a very low uh, distress tolerance, right? So if if you look at where addiction is happening in the midbrain and it's all about the pleasure center and continuing to uh, ignite that area of the brain, they learn no other coping skills to manage daily life, meaning or purpose is not part of the equation because it's simply to just stay in that pleasurable, high dopamine uh, place. Yes, and, and, and that's right. And those people are usually not very introspective. They don't look at themselves very much. And they're not very service-oriented in the sense of, because if you don't take care of your body, how can you really take care of other people? And here's what happens. There's some people that actually have addictions and are very caring, but these are caretakers, which is different. Caretakers are people that don't take care of themselves and take care of others. That's worse than, than if you don't care for anybody. So it's very interesting. Uh, and, and centenarians have what my uh, uh, mentor, George Solomon, called healthy narcissism, which is a way of self-caring. What they are is that <laughs> they care for themselves, but they include other people in their caring. And I'll give you another example. I was talking to a, a centenarian and they had a little cocktail party for him. And, and there were some women around him. And he comes up to me and he says, have you noticed how the women are looking at me? I think they love me. So, <laughs> but then <laughs> he didn't stop there. He said, but have you noticed how beautiful they are? See, that's inclusive narcissism. The, the pathological narcissist would say, okay, now they're looking at me. They love me. How can I manipulate them? It's not inclusive. Yeah. And they're all that way. They all, they all that have, have that inclusive uh, uh, valuation that I find to be, and actually is very healthy for your immune system. 
Well, it's not only healthy, it's it, it, it's charming. And I think it's what uh, allows one to believe that anything is possible, right? Yes. That li- it's, it, it's a uh, limitless way of being in the world. Yes, and connecting, socially connecting with others. Another thing that our cultures teaches, all cultures, at one level, level or another, uh, there's a culture in South America that says that we'll forgive everything except success. So you know where that goes. But also our culture teaches pseudo-humbleness or a false humbleness. A little girl will say, Mommy, look how pretty I am. And the mother says, No, darling, no, no, you don't say that. You're pretty, but don't say it. And then when they tell you you're pretty, you deny it. So how are you going to build self-esteem that way? Yeah. <laughs> and, and centenarians are very, they're very um, accepting of their, of their um, gifts. I always mention this because this is outstanding. This 102-year-old woman who was really attractive, I said to her, you know, you're really a, a beautiful woman. And she says, thank you. I know. I've always been beautiful. Ever since I was a little girl, I was beautiful. <laughs> See how wow. refreshing that is. It is refreshing. You, you, don't, you don't expect it. There yeah. was a, a, a video that went viral on YouTube some years ago, and it was a an older woman who had been a, a ballerina, and she lived on Fire Island in a very modest home. And she had a younger woman who was her friend who filmed her morning routine. And she got up and did these stretches each morning. She was probably close to 100. And her spine was erect. Her, 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 her muscles were toned. Her body was very, very fluid. And she was very, very limber. And she said that she had just always done this in yeah. her life. So yes. why would it be any different? Exactly. And, that, and that's what's showing lately is that you can continue to build muscles until you die. You continue to build uh, or, and create, re-energize uh, neurons until you die. And many, many other things that were considered to be it stops at a certain age, it doesn't. It's just that what happens is that gerontology studies the pathology of aging. I study the causes of health while you're growing older. Totally different. The causes of health while we're growing older. I, do, I really appreciate that. And going back to what you said about uh, middle age or midlife, like I think that middle age is around 65 personally. Uh, well, I, I consider middle age at 90. Starts 90. At 90. <laughs> oh, I have to catch up to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. And now, talk a little bit about your workshops. I know that we didn't talk about sharing this on the air, but I have had the great privilege of studying with you many years ago. And I know that um, from time to time you do travel around the world and you and you train people in, in this science. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. And the workshops, what I'm doing now is workshops uh, on the uh, about the book and teach actually the applications and, and to create, especially to create uh, subcultures of wellness. So for example, when I do some in L- in LA, we have people who then reconnect with each other and maintain a sense of wellness with each other. And that's important because if you create that, for example, and you tell somebody, you know, I thought I was really bad with directions, but I found that I'm really very good. And, and, and I thought that I was really uh, not strong enough and I am strong. And that subculture will say, of course you are. And let me tell you about me and that kind of thing. That's really important. But what I'm finding is that the public needs to know these things to balance out the gloom and doom that we talked about, both from science and from other uh, cultures that tell you that this is how it is. You know, uh, you, that you come from poverty and you're never going to be wealthy because we're poor and, and the poor are noble and the rich are, are evil. So populist governments will say that. And what happens is that who wants to come out of nobleness to become evil? Yeah. 
Well, it, you know, and this goes back to uh, where you focus your attention is where you find yourself, right? So yes. if, if those beliefs uh, are what you hold as your gospel, uh, it's very hard to get out of the construct of, of that world. So what you say about the connection and community and um, the external validation of what we come to know is very, very helpful. Yes, and I think we also have another scare of dementia. Uh, dementia uh, doesn't necessarily have to happen. Uh, and what I found with patients that I've had with Alzheimer's, I always find that they go from a very high level situation of meaning, engagement, passion, into something very passive that you would consider to be, how oh, nice, they're going now to, uh, uh, to watch a sunset in Florida. Well, that changes, again, that, that pleasure um, that I talked about earlier. I think that the, the, one of the most important things to consider is that dementia is, an, is not an inevitable thing. That you have, If you stay active and you find meaning and connected with the world, it, could even re, it can retard it or you can, in, in some cases, you can avoid it. So I, this, this quite a bit. And I think that, uh, that that's why I wrote the book, uh, so that, that people can actually get informed with good science. It's got a lot of bibliography and so forth. So um, that's uh, that's it. And the book, once again, is The Mind, Body, Self, How Longevity is Culturally Learned and the Causes of Health are Inherited. My guest today has been neuropsychologist Dr. Mario Martinez. To learn more, please visit biocognitive.com. On Twitter, you can find Dr. Martinez at biocognitive1 and on Facebook, Mind, Body, Culture. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing guest today, Professor Walter Longo and Dr. Mario Martinez, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.